Welcome to Writer's Blockbusters, the show we treat the final edit of a movie like the script. I'm one of your hosts, Bob Rose. My Twitter handle, if if Twitter still exists when this comes out, <laughs> is at ThundergruntBob. And the next person to introduce themselves is going to be Jimmy George. I am Jimmy George. I am a screenwriter and script consultant. My Twitter handle, if it's still there when this comes out, <laughs> is at Jimmy R. George. <laughs> I am Jamie Nash. My Twitter handle is Jamie under at Jamie. I guess you don't need that. You know what that is. Uh, Jamie, maybe that'll be gone. Maybe they'll get rid of the at. Uh, that'll be the big feature. You get Jamie blocked underscore Nash. And I'm not going anywhere on Twitter because it took me a long time to get the followers. No, I'm so not, it'll be there forever. I don't think any of us are leaving. I'm just saying yeah. like everybody else is. This is basically what you're saying. I don't know right? about you guys, but I'm not paying we'll be, for anything. Oh, so, like, I, I never paid for anything. Yeah. But if I, that buries us in the algorithm, it was nice knowing everybody yeah. that listens. Um, Because <laughs> yeah, we'll never get any traction. That's a good point. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I already not to turn this into a Twitter thing, but I already felt like it, I couldn't it was, get any traction. Right. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. For it the last year. Right. <laughs> so. It's, you know, it, I don't know. To me, I've already sort of given up on it a little bit. I'm still there. I'm still there. We're still, still there. If you want to, if you want to talk to us, you can. Yeah. We're, all, we're not doing any, anything dangerous, so we shouldn't get our accounts deleted. Anyway. No. What oh, we're actually here to talk about today. I, well, wait, I didn't introduce myself. I oh, just introduced myself. I'm did. not, I'm more than a Twitter handle. I'm more than a <laughs> blue are. check. You are. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely. So, so I'm the, I'm a screenwriter and the writer of Save the Cat Rights for TV and I'm going to put this up front, a brand new book that comes out literally tomorrow from this podcast, but from you, it'll be in the past. Uh, so so the book is already out. It's called the Save the Cat uh, Beat Sheet Workbook. I almost said Save the Cat Rights for TV. It is, not, <laughs> it is not the Save the Cat Rights for TV workbook. It is the Save the Cat Beat Sheet Workbook. And it is, a, it is uh, you know, a couple hundred glorious pages of, of prompting you to tell your story. It is it is story neutral. So if you're a book writer, a TV writer, a movie writer, it'll help pull it out, uh, pull that story out if from you. If you just you, want your blog drag to it be out. better, you can get this. Thing. If you want your blog to be better. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's more than just like, you know, taking Save the Cat and adding some white space. It, it has all kinds of new stuff, uh, new stuff we talk about on this podcast new stuff I work on in my classes. Um, it's really, and it's done in a really fun, approachable way. So if you're a beginner, it'll work for you. But we've had, um, you know, the first group of people that I went to were like pros and advanced people. And they were very excited. And some of them were even going to try it out in their next projects. So anyway, I'm super excited. It's out now. Go to Amazon, pick it up. And there you go. Me, me and Jimmy are both working on two books ourselves. We're going to catch up to Jamie. <laughs> He's just in the lead for Not right quite. now. It's just for right now, Jamie. We're going to catch up. Um, the, the workbook was easier. It was less words in some ways because you do add the words. So 190 was, pages of all pictures. It's, it's just a blank book. You just open it up and it's a blank book. And it says right here. Write, write your story here. And then you just open it up. And that's it. There are no rules, is what it says on page. Uh, you know, in the age of the internet, some people would buy that ironically. Yeah, <laughs> it actually has sales. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're not here to talk about uh, Twitter or uh, or completely about what we're selling. We're here to talk about, <laughs> of course, about 
how E.T. is obviously a Jedi because he was in episode two, Attack of the Clones, and he's using <laughs> the Force in the movie. <laughs> no, we're here to talk about E.T., the extraterrestrial. Uh, if you haven't heard of this movie and you listen to this podcast, I my jaw will be on the floor because it's E.T. <laughs> um, and I think this is what, like our third Spielberg movie? I think, think so. it is, right? Because we Ready Jurassic Player Park. One, Jurassic Park, oh, Ready Raiders, one. and this. That's yeah, yeah. number four. Okay. And we four. still got so many that we so haven't many. hit. And oh we did God. Poltergeist. So yeah. it's kind of Poltergeist one. Is he wrote it. Half. That's four and a half. That's I mean, this, Spielberg this, adjacent. This is, <laughs> well, this is a screenwriting podcast, and he wrote it. So yeah, that's true. Wrote, that, good right. call. In some ways, that's bigger. Yeah. We'll uh, count it five. We'll count it five. Five uh, out of eighty-seven because of the credits. Uh, and he produced back to the no. We won't go that. And way. Gremlins, yeah, <laughs> gremlins. Yeah, it would take forever. Um, Jesus. Before we get into our uh, outline, let's go around to the table, the Zoom table, and I mean it's ET. So everyone, give a, <laughs> a short summation of what your relationship to the movie is. So who wants to start? Jamie, you want to go? Sure, sure. So this movie is pretty huge to me. I, I was telling Bob before we got on this, there was a time where I used to say E.T. was my favorite movie, like as a kid, um, even though I had seen and now I say Raiders. So they were always like neck and neck, but it's definitely in my top five, top ten. It's it's weird. As as an adult, I started to like Jaws more. Uh, I, I, you know, I started to like Jaws a lot more and I just my love of Raiders grew and honestly, I just watched E.T. so many times. I think maybe I, 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 I took it down a notch because I had memorized like every beat of the music. Like it's one of those movies where not only do I know every line of dialogue, but literally I can do the soundtrack behind it. You know, like I can I can and what just a sing soundtrack, the soundtrack, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I like it so much. This just to give you an example in Save the Cat Rights for TV, I, I had to do an example of a of a kind of generic save the cat beat sheet that, that just to show you how a movie fits in the save. And I chose ET just cause I know that movie that well, but I didn't have to go and research it anymore. I could just do it off the top of my head. I was just like, okay, then this happens and this happens. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big ET guy. I was 12 when it came out. I'm trying to think, is that right? When did it come out? 82. 82. 82. Oh, I'm sorry. I was 10 when it came out because I would have been 11. Yeah, 10. I was 10 when it came out, which makes more sense in some ways. But I'll tell you why it doesn't make sense. I mean, that's a perfect age. Yeah. So, and here are the things I was into when I was 10 years old. Okay. I was, first of all, I was into movies. So that's, that's the thing. So Star Wars was huge. I mean, to everybody around me, everybody was Star Wars t-shirts. It really didn't have merchandising as much for other movies, except Grease or something like that. I don't know. But Star Wars was everywhere. The action figures, the lightsabers, all that stuff. You know, we we were Star Wars all day. D&D, I played D&D all the time with my little 10-year-old friends. Um, that was something that was coming and very exciting to me. So I played D&D all the time. And BMX, BMX was huge. We all had our mongoose bikes and we're out there trying to jump curbs and doing all that stuff so when i saw this movie this movie is my childhood 100 it is except not california it has the california spin mm-hmm. and that was the east coast suburbs which is a Did different model penis breath a lot it, that, that was a term i i heard for the first time in this movie yeah. but after, after this movie it became a very regular uh 
crack that people would kind <laughs> right. of say. And, and by the way, uh, the other thing, this movie totally made it made me a Reese's Pieces convert for many, many years. Um, I haven't had one in years now because now M&M makes all these like really good versions of M&Ms, like the peanut <laughs> flavor and stuff like that. I mean, the peanut butter M&Ms are like almost they're <laughs> almost the same. Pieces. But I think they're I think they're even I'll be honest, they're better. Because the peanut butter. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I can oh, agree there, I, Jamie. The you peanut butter is two books, but I'm not going to agree on this. A hot take on this podcast. <laughs> the peanut butter is more peanut buttery in the M and M, the modern day yeah, M and M. Reese's peanut butter is like its own. It's beast. its own thing. It, it's its it doesn't beast, taste you know? like peanut butter, really. It's its own sugary kind of peanut butter flavored confection. But I prefer the real peanut butter to the regular. Okay. So anyway, right. that is my um. I think that's that's all my ET stuff. But I know I know a ton about ET, like how it was made, watched all the things. You know, I I just I'm a huge ET guy. My son loves it now, so I I rewatch a lot of clips often with him. So I'm constantly watching then, this movie and over. You prefer and over again. the special edition, of course, right? Absolutely prefer the special edition. <laughs> It's funny how Spielberg even backed <laughs> off on that one. You know, oh, yeah. he, he's disowned it completely. It's, yeah, he's pretty much made it non-existent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, that's me. Jimmy? That's me. All right. Um, I'll try to keep this brief. I uh, not not criticizing your your long story. I loved it, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, the I first of all I echo the Reese's Pieces thing. I like as a kid because of this movie. I like. I ate, I begged for Reese's Pieces all the time. I definitely, it was like my preferred candy. And I know this had some, it, it, definitely it made Reese's Pieces. Like, yeah, that's the reason that it, that that's grew, right? not surprising at all. So, um, this is the first movie I ever saw in the movie theater. Mm. And, uh, it, so it's, you know, incredibly special just for that my mom took me they you know they used to do this when there was no streaming um there was a summer re-release in 1984 so two years after it was out they put it out again in the theaters and uh i saw it so i was four and uh, i saw it in the summer re-release and it is maybe my oldest memory that i can call back to like i remember it vividly um, sitting in the theater, I, I have one memory, and it's the the sun shot with all the kids on the bikes in the sun. Like, I, and imagine it like I'm four years old. Like the the screen is just absolutely mammoth. So like that beautiful image with the music and the magic, all of it. So it made it it made a huge impression on me, just because of that. Um, so. Yeah, I've never been someone to be like, this is one of my favorite movies. Um, but but definitely growing up, I had E.T. Toys. I loved the Reese's Pieces. I, um, you know, I loved being a kid on a bike after this. Um, and, uh, like, I think it, it became aspirational, like, after that, for, for at least for kids in my neighborhood. And, um, like, I remember one of the first things when I was when I was old enough to, like, actually hold a bike. I really wanted a bike, and I really wanted a bike with a basket on it. Um, but, uh, yeah, wore the VHS tape out. I've never watched this for screenwriting purposes in all the years. And so it was really fun to kind of, and surprising as these classics seem to be like what it does differently, um, that I didn't expect. 
Um, it was really fun to go back with like a screenwriting lens and and uh, deconstruct it and see why it why it hits. And I think we're gonna talk about like why it hits so hard, even though it does things a little differently. Um, so yeah, I love the movie, of course. I think everyone was just expecting the three of us to say, "Yeah, yeah it's love easy fest." <laughs> You know, I realized that we're movie. we're eight, are you done, Jimmy? Yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Um, we're 87 episodes in, and I realized that every time we talk at the open about our experience with the classic movie, we never have the math right on our ages for some reason. Mm-hmm. But I realized right now, like when this movie came out, I was zero years old. I was born <laughs> in 1982, and I'm realizing right now, Jamie, we're like almost exactly like 10 years apart. I didn't realize that until like this episode. Um, so here's the thing is I had the optimal experience experience with ET as someone who was born the year it came out, probably within a month of when it came out. Cause I was born in May, you know, I don't know when ET was released, uh, that, that wise, but like when I, I think I it was, was, I think it was the summer. I think okay. it was the middle of the summer. I think it was when, May or June. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. growing up. Just as the impact of a singular movie that isn't a franchise. Growing up, E.T. was enormous in my household. Like, like I still to this day have the VHS tape with the green hood on it. You know how it had that green mm-hmm. yeah. on it? Like, I still have the original VHS tape that my parents bought me. Still works. Everything. But what I'm saying basically is, is like, to think about that time period where Jamie was saying and how big it was when, you know, when you saw Jamie. And then to think, like, mid-90s. I'm ET is a staple of pop culture and my life. Even then, at that mm-hmm. point, how much longer after? That's not like unheard of for a mm-hmm. lot of movies. They just disappear. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the fact that ET was so huge and became like pretty much staple viewing that much longer away. <laughs> right. It, it was talked about in pop culture. It was such a staple when I was growing up, and I never like I never back then understood that it literally came out when i was born i never had that in my mind's eye to me it was a new movie you know because i i couldn't comprehend it until like the late 80s <laughs> right at all you know what i mean like so even by the time i could comprehend it and of course like this all means that i do love it um i'm kind of with jimmy is i've never said it's my favorite movie but i'll say this i love it more now like as a kid i obviously loved it but now it hits me even harder I mean, like, I'm not even going to lie to all of our listeners here. I'll just say it to you guys, too. Like, I teared up when I watched it for this fucking episode. Like, me, too. I teared up. I mean, like, I don't I didn't used to do that as a kid. I don't know what it hits me harder now. I I think I think this is a weird thing I've noticed because I know Star Wars can give me goosebumps. Sometimes even these crappy trilogy kind of not that they're crappy, but, you know, they're not as great as the original. I think the music really does that to you, too. John Williams, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, in I, epic rap battles of history on YouTube, one of the lines is, uh, "Yo, half of your million, half your million should go to John Williams." <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's not that Spielberg doesn't deserve credit. It's just like, man, that score at the end. You know, I'll be right here. The music yeah. swells up. It's Hollywood. It's cinema. That's the religion of cinema for our age group. Dun 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 dun. It's. <laughs> like you just can't get away from that you know what i mean even if i didn't love et yeah. i respect it as the beatles mm-hmm. of this era of cinema you know what i mean it just yeah. is and it always was you know <laughs> it's, 
Yeah. And that, as we transition here into yeah. saying who wrote it and stuff like that, the one thing I will also say that I remember very fondly from uh, being a kid that age, and keep in mind, <clears throat> Raiders was the real the movie that made me interested in filmmaking right. in some ways, because it melded uh, Spielberg, the Jaws, Close Encounters guy right. with Lucas. So I started to realize. So by the time this came out, I was like paying attention to trailers. I was a movie kid in some ways. And um, the two trail, these two trailers hit back to back. E.T. and Poltergeist. They hit back to back, literally in the same. Like I don't know what movie I was seeing, but these two, and they were both done mysterious, almost like a horror movie in some ways. Like E.T., they didn't tell you anything. It was just like E.T. is Adventures on Earth. Come see it, and that was it. But it was mysterious music and stuff. And then this Poltergeist thing. They're here, and it was like. Gosh, both Spielberg, and they're and for, both kind of. For anyone creepy. listening, we have done Poltergeist. Go we back have. to the catalog. Yeah, we have, and I, it's almost interesting if you if you've never seen it, see go see if you can. It's funny because my son, my son who has autism, finds these weird things, and he's found the ET trailer, and I probably saw it for the first time in years. Just go back and look at it because I remember being in the theater and seeing that trailer and being, "What the hell is ET?" <laughs> you know, I don't know what that is. Um, and Spielberg had this way of quirking, uh, of uh, kind of nailing phrases like that you've never heard of. Like I didn't know, I had never heard the word extraterrestrial before. I mean, that seems weird now. Uh, just like we had never heard the word close encounters back then. Yeah. Um, and Mental would, real estate, dude. And we never heard the word poltergeist back then. <clears throat> he, I think that was kind of his thing. I mean, maybe not Jaws because that was a book, but um, yeah, he wanted to kind of plant these he dug for these words and made them the title um but anyway it was yeah. like it was like oh what is this it's coming this summer i have to see these two movies and it was, <laughs> yeah, i was so excited I mean, look i'm not i'm just gonna say this i might have said this in the show before but the summer of 1982 when i was born when i was birthed into the world i still believe is like the greatest summer of movies ever because so you had you had uh i could name the big ones okay go for it because well, I'm mean, about to read know, them. I don't know let's the order, it, let's but put you to the you test. Got, <laughs> you got ET, you got Poltergeist, you got Rocky Three, okay, you got man. Star Trek Four, Star Trek Conan 4, the Barbarian, yeah. Star oh, Trek, man. Star Trek Two, Wrath sorry, of sorry, Khan. Wrath of Khan, dude. Sorry, Star Trek Two, that's my bad. Star Trek Two, must Conan do on the Barbarian. this on this I mean, show. Every one of those to me is a banger. Is a complete yeah. classic and that I, I love. And there, there are a couple more that like those are all huge, huge, huge for me. Like Rafa Khan, totally right. But right there, yeah. there's some that I, I don't know. Maybe this one's problematic today, but Tootsie was a big movie back yeah. when I was a kid. Um, I, I and I saw I that. I think it's because it's on Broadway and people don't want it to be like re, reburned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not the movie so much. It is the. Play. I, I wasn't sure if there was something because you know it is it's a not beloved movie anymore. But, he, but yeah, he plays. You know, it's yeah. He Dustin is. plays a Dustin character. So, um, the, but then there's a, uh, this is a weird one. But Porky's was, I can't tell you how how uh, watershed Porky's was. Like it's kind of forgotten. Speaking of problematic movies, right? Yeah. But when you're like also, 10 years old, all the kids sneaking it, you know what I mean? It's that movie. It's, also, it's a franchise. And without franchise. Porky's existing, a Christmas story would have never happened. How about yeah. that? Because yeah. Yeah, Bob Clark would have never gotten to, gotten the studio to let him make <laughs> a Christmas story. So. This, this is another one of those years that I saw like all of these movies in the theater. Gandhi came out that year. We, we did a, field trip to that movie and that 
that was eye-opening for me as like a 10 11 year old when i finally saw it first blood came out that year mm. um 48 hours came out that year this is a weird one but i saw this in the theater too the best little whorehouse in texas i saw mm-hmm. that's nine um annie came out annie was a huge event that year the toy uh Ugh. Firefox. I saw all these movies in the theater. The Dark Crystal came out that year. Yes. So I saw like the first 20 movies. This is another one of these years. So I saw all of these in the movie theater. The only one I could see that I didn't see in the movie theater. I don't think I saw 48 hours in the movie theater. Um, probably because I was 10. Um, and I didn't see an officer and a gentleman. That just wasn't my genre. I saw it years later. Um, but everything else I saw in the theater. But where did E.T. fall in this box office? For one. Number one. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I was, I was just about to hit we that. We didn't say oh. it, but I figured that was common knowledge, <laughs> so, right? Yeah. Like, so, ET. so I don't know the way Box Office Mojo does this. This might be with all the re-releases and stuff packed yeah. in. But it has it on this list I'm looking at right here on Box Office Mojo. It has it at 350, $359 million And the Global. nearest competitor, uh, that's, that's worldwide. And the nearest competitor... So it's weird. I don't know what I don't know what the heck this is now because it has it listed domestic and worldwide as the same number, and it does that for all of these. So I don't know what's going on with box office mojo here, but so now I'm upset with that. And then it has Tootsie at 177. Oh wow! Right beneath it. So so I don't know where that what that means exactly. Is that including inflation? That's not including inflation though, right? Uh, no, that that number. So that's so, 1982, 359 million. Yeah, right. that, yeah, that wow. must be what it is. Because I'm looking because at now, even a bad Marvel movie makes like double that. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, it's not. So I, 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 well, I'm looking at IMDb's version of the same thing, and it has it at 793 million worldwide. That seems more accurate. Yeah, yeah. It, it has 437 million um domestically but when et came out it was the number one movie of all time i believe i'm 99 percent sure about that like star wars was there and then the blockbusters of its ever yeah yeah until and then of course eventually um i think titanic beat it i think that was jurassic park and i don't i don't know did jurassic park beat it i'm not sure if it did because of all the the number one movie of all time was it okay yeah the jurassic park then Independence Day, then Titanic. I remember I, this stuff. I was for, like, for some reason, I thought ET was like unbeatable for a while. No, um, Jurassic Park, I'm, even I'm, with Jurassic Park, until I might Titanic. Eat those words, but I'm almost, I'm almost. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Someone's gonna tag you on Twitter and be like, "You're yeah, wrong, come man. Come at me. Come You're at wrong." Me. I remember. I literally remember <laughs> Will Smith being on like uh the tonight show and saying you know and celebrating independence day beating jurassic park so it was the number one ah. earner of all time hence what i just said would have to be true right like mm-hmm. i know that that happened i literally remember that you know but it, well i the only thing because I'm, I'm shocked that independence day is the topper of either of those movies in some ways even though i know i made a ton of money i i wonder if that's like the number one weekend or something like that or i don't know maybe now it I'm was debating. i was young maybe it was i could be wrong and, and now they I'll probably accept, have I'll updated if i'm wrong now they probably have them all updated for inflation so it's probably you really can't even figure it out yeah <laughs> it's like, I don't know. you'd have to go back to the actual thing you saw him on to see what that was i'll um, accept defeat if i if i'm wrong yeah <laughs> remember sure. that 
I remember I that tonight show. I probably stopped paying attention to that in 1990, so it's right, right. all good. I mean, it doesn't really matter. But, no, you no. Know. Um, well, with all that, Jamie, who wrote this shit? Yes. So Melissa Matheson wrote this script. Uh, Melissa Matheson at the time was married to Harrison Ford. Uh, that that was her, you know, the, they always talk about that story because Spielberg actually pitched her this movie on the set of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, he made her, mm. apparently she cried when she heard it. She heard his story, his pitch. So, uh, it, but here, interesting fact is, or fact, I don't know if it's a fact or not. Spielberg says it is. She wouldn't do it. She turned it down because she was feeling really um, negative about herself after the, she did the Black Stallion. And that was a huge, that was her huge kind of breakout. And then she um, started working on something of her own or something. It wasn't coming out good. And she just wanted to quit writing. So she had that very, you know, as writers, we all kind of know those feelings where you just want to quit. You're like, I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. Um, and he pitched her E.T. because he liked the Black Stallion. He knew Harrison. She was kind of in the family. Uh, she said no. Uh, he basically had Harrison and Kathleen Kennedy kind of work her to try to, <laughs> to try to get her to write to it. it. And she eventually did. She eventually so, did. The one thing I read up on before this episode, I was telling Jamie a little bit about was like uh, the unmade horror movie night skies night skies that, mm -hmm. that, that uh, Spielberg was supposed to make. And I yes. actually didn't know this one detail that in the movie night skies in the script, there were several different aliens and like one was like the leader. It was kind of like the gremlins aspect. One was the leader yep. and one was the silly one. One was the nice one that, that got along with the child mm -hmm. in the, yep, movie. the gizmo, the gizmo mm -hmm. of it. And apparently like that aspect is what Spielberg lashed onto in the script. And he took that aspect and that's what eventually became E.T. with Melissa Matheson. Like he like they got rid of the horror movie <laughs> around it and just kept the boy and the alien. <laughs> I didn't know yes. that. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. I knew about and Night Skies and stuff. I just there, didn't know that. There's also kind of a famous tidbit that tidbit tidbit. I don't know what that is. That's another movie. <laughs> that's another did. thing. Yeah. Tridbit. <laughs> um, that's, that's an E.T. knockoff movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there, there was a. When he did Close Encounters, Truffaut um, said to him, like, you're really good with children. You should make a children's movie. And supposedly he was he really wanted to do a children's movie. He took that to heart. He was like, I am good with children. I, I should do a children's movie. And he had Zemeckis and maybe Bob Gale. Is that who Zemeckis yep. wrote? Yep. Um, yeah. Write a script that was some kind of kids movie coming of age. But when they finished it, it was like, and I can't remember the title at it, it escapes me at the moment but it, it ended up being like this r-rated kind of like you know Forkies, raunchy. Yeah. yeah and he was like this isn't what i meant so then he moved back to et but he was thinking about and then that. they went off and made mac and me no yeah exactly. <laughs> so but we yeah. got the mac and me reference in yes <laughs> i yeah i had to check I'm, the box we can't not mention mac and me so <laughs> so, so night night skies was um it was based off of a true incident. I, I always forget the Hopkinsville something yeah, yeah. incident. And the, the script is out there if you want to read it. I, I've read it before. It's it's not great. It's kind of like a home invasion. It's also a first draft. It's, it's a first draft. Yeah. It's John Sayles. It's just not much to it. It's kind of like a home invasion movie in some ways uh, with, with small aliens. Um, 
You but, can see the alien designs online too that uh, Rick Baker did, and it's right, also why right. Rick Baker won't talk and work yeah. with Steven Spielberg anymore. Yes, Night Skies didn't happen. Yeah, Spielberg kind of broke his heart. Spielberg came back and said, "I'm not doing this one. I'm doing the CT thing." He wanted him to do ET as well, but he said he just didn't have it in him at that point. Mm. So, fun ET wow. backstory is yeah. uh, relevant. No, seriously, like anyone interested, it's a good play. If you're interested about the genesis of ET, look up Night Skies. So it's just, very interesting. Yeah, and super quick on Melissa Matheson, Black Stallion, ET. Um, this is one that we just found out. She she wrote the Twilight Zone um kick the can segment, uh, accredited as Josh Rogan. Uh, so we don't know the backstory why well, she changed her name. I'm gonna say it's speculate. the tragedy. It's yeah, the, it's the tragedy. Yeah. And uh she did something called Son of the Morning Star, never heard of. Oh, I skipped over a movie I never heard of called The Escape Artist that I'm shocked I've never heard of. And I, I knew nothing about it, but it has None a pretty big have, cast. Right? I mean, Jimmy, yeah. you've never heard of it, right? Never heard of it. it okay. And it made very little money. So it seems like it kind of got buried, but I'm very curious about it. That's I the first thing I'm going to do. Ponyo and Kundun. Yeah, Kundun is the weird one in her because it's Scors- yeah. Scorsese. Scorsese. I didn't. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. And, I, I happen I'm pretty sure without clicking on it, the Black Stallion was a zoetrope. Like so she was in with <laughs> okay. that Francis Ford Coppola kind of mix. The escape artist was also a zoetrope. So she was in that mix. But she so she probably knew those dudes, you know, the Scorsese uh and uh Coppola and all that all that kind of stuff. Um I mean she wrote for Spielberg, Scorsese, and Frank Oz. That's all yes. awesome. Shit. That's a career, man. It's great. And, wow. And then after Kundun, she really didn't have much. Uh, she has The Emperor's New Clothes, an all-star illustrated retelling of the classic fairy tale. Um, and then she, well, I don't know what that is. Uh, and then she did, uh, it two th- so then she goes from 1997 to 2008 is her next credit. It's uh, And that's Ponyo. And then she did the BFG in 2016. She passed away in 2015. So the BFG must have come out after she had passed away. Mm. Yeah. She, she is, she was married to Harrison Ford, um, and it says on Wikipedia she died November fourth, twenty fifteen, in Los Angeles, age sixty five. From rest wow. in peace, and what a legacy! What a legacy! What a, what legacy, a career! Yeah. My gosh, I got, I'm, de- I'm definitely gonna watch the Escape Artist now. Yeah, we gotta find it. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably on YouTube or something. Yeah, it's or probably 2B, one of those weird ones. Tubi or something. Tubi or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I'll definitely watch it. Um. Genre discussion. Yeah, I popped this on here because I figured it was a perfect time for Jamie to reference. We don't have this. It's to say one of the save the cat genres, right? Like, yeah, yeah. We don't get Buddy loves that often on the show. Yeah, that's why I wanted to bring it up for Jamie to go down. (laughs) Yeah, this is one. I think Blake calls these like. I'm not sure if he calls it animal genres or something. It's like a pet genre, blood with the black stallion. I mean, not to put ET as a pet or an A, you know, but because he's a creature, it's not a love story. It has that relationship. No, I, I mean, as as yeah. a guy like Mike in my neighborhood, and it it hit like when I found my cat, and then like now I have like a loving relationship with this. You know, with this animal that like showed up at you know right outside my house, so it does feel like a like a cat, you know, like a, a pet. And ET even purrs like a cat, which I didn't remember. But 
I almost yeah. feel like you could argue that E.T. became like a template for this type of movie later mm-hmm. on, right? Or maybe we're just not, we don't have our fingers on the pulse of the culture then, and maybe there were other movies that were playing around with this already that it's right. doing the same thing, you know? Well, first, Jamie, can you give us the the quick rundown on what the genres are? Yeah, the genres, and we talk about them very often on this podcast because they're always fun to kind of throw in there. They're... um save the cat story patterns so you find these they're not your traditional genres like sci-fi or horror or things like that these are more kind of hinting at what what types of story you're telling not necessarily what type of audience would be interested in the story uh so yeah buddy love is uh, well i always i always start with golden fleece as an example of somebody on a quest or somebody trying to win a trophy and it could be anything from like a sports movie like Major League uh, or Dodgeball to uh, Lord of the Rings, which they're trying to quest to get to uh, Mount Doom to throw the ring into. Uh, there's usually a road of some sort, whether it's a season or, or or traditional road. There's some kind of final thing they're trying to get to, and those are called Golden Fleece stories. I just use that as an example. There's also Monster in the House we talk about all the time where there's a monster, there's people trapped in the house. Um, they're trying to escape. Today, we're going to talk about one we hardly ever talk about, which is Buddy Love. Buddy Love is the romances, but it's also the friendship and the buddy stories. So if it whether it's um, 48 Hours, which we just referenced, is kind of a Buddy Love story. Um, Harry Met Sally could be a Buddy Love story. But also the Black Stallion could be a Buddy Love story. And E.T. can be a Buddy Love story as well. Um Buddy loves usually have the requirements of two individuals that are buddies. It's two buddies. Usually there's something that they can teach themselves about each other. Now, I'm not sure that E.T. learns anything from Elliot in this, but that's traditional. Maybe just like, how to be human. He learns like, Earth stuff. Earth stuff. Yeah. Earth stuff. Yeah. How to be an Earthling. Yeah. Usually they both Our, need he learns each about other. Junk food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Beer. Yeah, yeah, beer, beer, and candy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and how to how to dress um, dress himself or right, something. Right. Halloween, uh, but so usually they they have something uh, that they can learn from each other, and they kind of both learn something from each other. There's usually a complication that either keeps them together or forces them apart, one or the other. So a lot of the romance stories are kind of force them apart. Like they're in love, but they can never be together. Romeo and Juliet, for example, or it's the opposite where they kind of hate each other, but they're stuck together. And that's a lot of your buddy cop movies, right? Um, this one kind of is doesn't have that as much, but there is a complication that kind of keeps them together and that E.T.'s mm-hmm. kind of stuck and in danger and stuff like that. So he is stuck there. They can't really quit each other just from even if they wanted to. Also, um, the added element of like them being connected, like I guess you'd say psychically, psychically or yeah. something that yeah. adds that, that it, adds something to the buddy. Definitely part genre, of it. You know, I, he feels what ET feels. I think most boy boy and their dog, girl and their dog, black stallion kind of stories. They probably have a similar. That's why I put ET in that category. They have similar feels to this, in that it's not like they hate each other. It's not that they love each other in in that way. Um, but they are kind of stuck together and they do have like that love quote unquote friendship for each other, whatever that thing is. So well, what's good is like, you know, these are, you always talk about how it's, these are for brainstorming techniques. Like, you mm-hmm. know, if you identify that you've got a concept, you've got a premise, 
that it, you're trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, deliver on the promise. You can kind of look at these other films that are also buddy love identify. Once you identify what your mm-hmm. genre is, you can identify the patterns and that gives you an easy, easy answers on how to, what to subvert, what to do, what not to do and what to do, but subvert it in how you're doing it. You know, like, so I, I think it's a really good tool. I, I, I think this um, movie kicked off like a whole genre, pretty successful buddy love supernatural kind of movies like harry and anderson short yep. circuit to yep. you know um lots of different ones that that kind of have batteries similar. not included batteries, batteries not included. included yeah mac harry and anderson, me i was gonna mention harry yeah they all follow the same patterns yeah to me my age group harry harry was like my et what mm-hmm. are you talking about when it was released and stuff like <laughs> that was that big for me even though right. i don't think it was as big in the world <laughs> sure it was a successful movie. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think it, it got sequels, didn't it? Is there a Harry a in the TV them? show? A TV a show. TV a TV show. show. Yep. Yeah. Yes. With the, with yeah. the same uh, guy in the suit. It was, the family right. was different, of course. Um, let's talk about the opening sequence. What did you want to talk about? The plotting your own? Explain that. Yeah. One. Yeah. So this opening sequence, for whatever reason, much like Raiders of the Lost Ark, really, when I was a kid, kind of taught me, like, what opening sequences could be in a movie. You know, I was like, wow, these are, these things can just, I, and I think everything I wrote after that point was trying to rip off ET for, it's like <laughs> alien being chased or something like that. But I see these so often because most altered, <laughs> altered, altered. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I, I see these, uh, these kind of opening sequences so often in scripts, but they're inferior. And, and, and I'll tell you why, uh, this is a pet peeve of mine that I get a lot. I get a lot of people that write a teaser. A lot of times it's horror. Now, I think I've talked about this on the show before because I see this one so often. Somebody's running. They're running. Somebody's chasing them. They're chasing them. And then they get hit or so, or maybe it just cuts or whatever. And it's just that. It's no just like somebody's running. No information. Yeah. There's no empathy for the character. There's no twists and turns. Um, and Whenever I look at the ET one, it's a short story unto itself. Mm-hmm. You could almost do a save the cat beat sheet for it. Almost. You could say, you know, the opening image, the spaceship or the stars, right? The stars are the opening. The mysterious stars are the opening image. The setup, aliens are looking for, you know, uh, fauna or whatever they're doing. I, I learned that more from the universal ride. Um, so they're doing something. <laughs> It's canon. They're botanists. They're botanists. <laughs> I, I forgot to mention the one, one of the huge, inf- one of my huge influences. Well, I read the novelization for this and I had all that stuff. And t- yeah, when yeah. I was a kid, I loved the novelization for this, for this movie. But anyway. a sequel would have always been wild because they would have shown that kind of stuff. Like, And, and there is, stuff. there is that weird sequel out there that had Spielberg's involvement. That's really bad. Nocturnal fears. If you ever go look it up, there is a sequel treatment out there that he was involved in that he, he realized it was ridiculous and, and squashed, but anyway, go search it out. Um, so anyway, setup is uh, they're searching cars, pull up. Who are these people? Are they, do they know the aliens are there? Do they not? That sets off a debate. Do they know, do well, you know what's up? They're kind of looking around. Uh, break into two, their heart lights go off, come back to the ship. Now a chase is on, you know? So 
there's a whole story going on here with twists and turns and beginning and it's we're thrown into it so we don't know what's going on we don't know who these aliens are we don't know what this movie's about i know that's hard to imagine but if you go back and watch that teaser trailer i wasn't entirely sure when i saw this movie what this movie was about it just showed a spaceship and and aliens walking, you know, and, it, and, it, and then there was this big chase with flashlights. For, for all you know, ET could be evil. It, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. When I saw this movie, I know this is hard to believe, but back then there were a lot of movies I'd go to. I didn't know what extraterrestrial meant. I didn't know what any of the stuff was. <laughs> um, and I sat there and it just, I, you know, I was learning beat for beat. Um, also, so anyway, yeah. Spielberg's name was kind of associated with horror at that point, right? Because it, it was, it was. And, right. Yeah. And again, Poltergeist CT, I kind of got the two mixed up. I was like, right, right. these two movies coming out that are both kind of mysterious and scary a little bit. Um, so, so, uh, but anyway, then he goes back. He he doesn't get on the ship. The ship flies away. Um, you know, so there's twists and turns. There's all this kind of. It's kind of an all is lost moment. He's stuck. He he looks out. He looks out on this mysterious, you know. Um, Los Angeles City. I guess what what part of the valley is that? Is that what that is? You don't specify. Uh, don't specify. Yeah. So he looks out that light grid, and it's mysterious to him. It's alien to him, like the stars. It's almost like an opening closing image bookended. Um, so I think that we're putting I think there's his a, shoes and everything. We're putting his shoes. Yeah. I think there's a ton of stuff to learn about opening sequences for this. They could have easily just had open up. E.T. running. Yeah. The spaceship goes away. Um, but there's a lot more uh, to it than that. So my 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 advice to writers, and, and Jimmy, you might have some thoughts on this too. But when I read those sequences, at least give me like one <laughs> plot twist, scene turn. <laughs> give me some, at least one thing. And the other thing that's great about this sequence, and this movie is really great if you line it up. It, it really delivers plot after plot after plot after plot and it scenes. So this scene is really in some ways a catalyst mm -hmm. for ET. The ship's gone. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Um, so it, it's got forward momentum. We have an alien trapped on Earth <clears throat> with no place to go. The photo finish is set up in that in the opening. Right. Like, yes. We yes. know what, what we're rooting for to happen by the end of the story right within five minutes. So Yep. Yeah. Um, no, I, my, my only, uh, bounce off of what you said, cause I think you covered it well. Um, it makes me think of a couple things. Um, that, that phrase that you, that we need on a t-shirt, make every move, make every movie a sequel to a movie that just happened that we never saw. Right. Um, it definitely it. feels like that. It definitely feels like we are watching part two right from the start. And part one was like ET's ship, you know, arriving, you know, the, the the journey to earth and landing on earth and what are they they're gathering you know organic material they're gathering yeah all this like... stuff so uh that sort of mindset of approaching it that way with this off-screen movie this off-screen first movie um that we're watching the sequel to i think that's tracks here and um you know that that also is the same thing as in media res that um we talk about a lot which is you you know you Jamie, you said, you know, you don't want to see them running. You want to learn a bit, a little bit about them before they start running. But uh, the in-media res here works really well. And then the other thing, you know, I didn't track it. And I tracked a shit ton of stuff that we're going to get to. Um, there's book reports galore that I'm probably going to cut short. But uh, <laughs> this is very reminiscent of the Scream opening 
where we did the good news, bad news. And there was, you know, in the scream opening, it's, it's, it's a 12 minutes of good news, bad news. And it's just nonstop good news, bad news, good news, bad news, good news, bad news for 12 minutes. And that's why it feels like, uh, very gripping in these rises and falls and these twists and turns. And I think that if you did a good news, bad news technique for this sequence, it would, you would find that they, that they do that. Um, so that's another thing that I think you can learn from the opening sequence is the good news, bad news aspect to it. Um, and if anyone's not familiar with it, uh, good news, bad news technique is basically you have the beginning of a scene and you're like, how do I get to the end of the scene? but keep it really interesting. And one easy way is to just take a blank sheet of paper, write the beginning of the scene at the top, write the end of the scene at the bottom, and just write prompts for yourself. Good news, bad news, good news, bad news, good news, bad news, and, uh, until you get to the bottom. And just forcing yourself to kind of imagine how things are going right, then things go wrong. You know, these progress and regression, it it's going to make the scene more interesting and more compelling. So, yeah. The, the one lesson that I think, Jamie, to go back to what you're saying with like how this movie has like those chunks, the mm -hmm. one lesson from this show that I'll never forget, I think it was around a couple our first <clears throat> couple episodes where Jimmy might have said or you might have said that if you're trying to approach a movie, breathe in and just make eight short films strung together. The sequence a, method. Yeah. Sequence method. Right. I'm yeah. Glad you had, yeah. I forgot the name. But like when I was watching the movie for this purpose, mm -hmm. I felt like the sequences here, like you said, they all really work within themselves mm -hmm. right. so well for one of for a movie this iconic. I, I never, mm -hmm. you know, I never I, noticed. I don't know if that is um, like I don't know this for sure, but I get the feeling most of the movies from this era were using some kind of sequence method technique to right, write. Right. It just it feels, feels that like way. It. Yeah. Um, this movie reminds me a lot of the Star Wars opening in some ways too. Mm -hmm. You know, you have that that in me res of the spaceship chase, and you know, you you meet the villain. The villain shows up. Um, the the end of the scene is kind of them getting away, which kicks off the whole movie. You know, there's there's a lot of similarities between this and the opening sequence of Star Wars, just from an emotional plot mm -hmm. delivery sort of feel. Well. Okay, let's talk about the star of the second opening of this movie. <laughs> of the second opening. The second right. opening. Well, it's the Yeah, no, no you're right. ET, and then there's the second opening, which is the introduction to the family, but most importantly, Elliot, right? Like like that that's it's a much different opening to a character. Yeah, I'm really excited now that I put this on the on the talking points before I had known that Jamie used um uh ET as a beat sheet example um in the past because i don't know when i think of et and again this is the first time i've looked at it from a screenwriting lens i don't really think of um elliot's you know journey personal journey i just think of the the alien part of it mostly and i do think of the bonding and stuff like that but anyway um but i do think there's an arc and jamie do you want to kind of start and see if we are on the same page or how, sure, did you sure. do that in your Save the Cat beat sheet? I, I did in a beat sheet sort of way. You know, it's it's got a theme <laughs> stated. You know, it's got a theme stated, and I kind of hint uh, at what the end is that he delivers in the dig down deep. You know, aspect. Yes. Okay. Um, so 
and and I don't think there's a huge huge arc like like a lot of early Spielberg Lucas movies like Raiders. You know, it's debatable. We you know we go to Marion and stuff like that, and we is that the thing people remember from the movie? Is that the message? I think it is. I think it's the heart of the movie, but still, it's it's it doesn't feel necessarily like they started with the Marion story and then built Raiders of the Lost Ark around mm-hmm. it or something like yeah. that. Um, though so ET, you feel that for Elliot too, right? Like, it's, I, I feel like Elliot's a little, it's, it's a harder to find. They're not as on the nose about the arc. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and the, one of the things I admire about ET that I always say, like when people say, ah, oh, it's crappy kids movie, blah, blah, blah. There's this weird Who's independent there. I, you get a lot of people that hate yeah. ET. There's a lot of yeah. ET haters. It's very sentimental. Um, it's very, cause it's I, sentimental. that's, that's, that's it. it. You got it. God forbid you feel emotions when you watch <laughs> yeah. something. It's but not cynical. Yeah. I, my, my, th- my, the thing I always loved about it is it has a very DIY vibe. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels like an indie movie in a weird sort of way. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's just that was one thing it. that I was struck by. Yeah, the lo- yeah. the wide shots that stay wide for like not, you know two minutes. And not, I, I mean, all you have to do is compare it to two movies people like, but are very different, like Short Circuit and Harry and the Hendersons. And those are very Hollywood, made for money kind of movies. You know, in my my feeling, and and that's not to be negative about them at all. They they have their merits, but this movie was his biographical movie. I know he's about to make another one. It's a, it's about him growing up. This is about a childhood friend he had after his divorce. And that's what he wanted to put in this movie. So this movie has a huge biographical is cinema in the, it's representative of him discovering cinema in his own life. So, you know, it, it has, it has that it's a lot of his feelings about divorce and things like that. Um, so I, I, you know, this movie is more built around the kid that feels lonely after his parents' divorce and how he becomes whole by the end of it. And I think so the what I pegged as the theme, because I, I think that vibe alone, just going from feeling lonely to kind of being healed is sort of what the arc is, but it's not okay. really said in the text as much. So for my purposes with the beat sheet, I I couched it more in feelings and empathy i think it's an empathy Mm -hmm. thing um and uh like for example for the theme stated i had it being that scene where michael says why don't you grow up and think about how other people feel for a change you know classic theme stated right because theme stated beats that's their go to the classroom at the dinner table there yeah (laughs) right theme stated sir when you call someone out on their flaw right um another character uh, and then in the end, um, not only is he so the way I see him arcing in the end is and, and there's all kinds of empathy things like mm-hmm. in the in the text, like the fact that they're linked and they he feels what E.T. feels yeah. and, you know, stuff like that. Like and it goes from him talking about himself. It's I to we. Yeah, it, exactly. Right. It's like all that stuff. So there's a slow growth of somebody who. Not that I see Elliot as being super selfish in the beginning. He's, like that's he's, yeah, he's not overtly. Like, he's just a kid who thinks about himself. Like, it's natural for his age. It's almost a natural growth arc. Like yes. just yeah. up a little faster than everybody and else. That, that's why he says it has more of an independent, realistic right. feel. Because there's a Hollywood version where you make him selfish in the beginning, and he's, you know, <laughs> he's kind of a jerk. Um, but this movie doesn't do that as much. And, but by the end, like like I said, with the dig down deep. He is literally because he knows what's best for his friend, giving up his friend basically forever for his own good. He is choosing 
the part with that friend like mm-hmm. that you know as as part of his growth in my opinion mm-hmm. um, yes and so i that's where i think the theme in the arc is in the character i don't think bob and i are going to disagree with you i'm going to agree how could, how could we i'm going to yes and for this yeah. um yeah, yes and so so i am 100% I figured but I since you wrote the book on it technically <laughs> um I figured I would let you start because <laughs> by the way by the way this no. this is insane the cat writes for tv and a lot of people <laughs> a lot of people crapped on me for for doing this because because it's not tv because it's not tv <laughs> but, yeah. but I was like if I put a tv one it has all these caveats so I can't yeah. like if you read my book there's a good reason why it's not tv um, because you have to know the regular one before you get to the TV one. Yeah, but, no, so, I understand. Anyway. Um, but uh, no, so so a couple things. So, you know, for one thing, yeah, we have a kid who state, I, I, I thought you were going to talk about, which you did, you just didn't label it, the, the concept of stasis equals death, which is, mm-hmm. you know, right, uh, right. Uh, it's like when you meet a character, it's uh, one way to establish their need is to show the audience, um, quote unquote, something uh, that Blake Snyder calls the stasis equals death, which is like, if the character continues to behave this way, um, they'll never grow. They'll never become the best version of themselves. So when we meet him, he's with that that dinner table scene, he's thinking about himself. He's not thinking about it. He, he's intentionally like, to spite his mom and to make her feel bad. He like does a jab about like, well, my dad's in Mexico with Sally, you know, and it's devastating to his mom. And, and he sees that and we get that nice little moment where he's like, ah, damn, I'm an asshole. Um, But that, 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 that line, like you said, like, can't you just grow up and think somebody else for once in a while? That's the whole movie. Right. And like, who's gonna, who's Elliot's agent of change An alien, who literally shows people his heart. Like, I think that's very intentional. That's thematic. Like that choice in the creature design is thematic, right? Like, like and when he people shares his heart with he share, Ellie. Yes. <laughs> like, and he's lit. They, he, they literally, but, but like, you know, people who show you their heart, you know, it's cause they, they're, they're trying to empathize with you. Right. Uh, whereas people who are all about themselves, they'll never show you their heart, you know? Um, so I think that's writing that's in the writing. That was a creative choice to make his heart be shown. Um, but uh, I wanna, I just wanted to mention like, this movie does a great job and I track them all, but I'm only gonna mention a couple. Um, you know, we've talked about in the past how sometimes an arc, does, you don't feel the arc when it, when it happens in the end. And that's because the writer hasn't um, given us enough growing pains along the way. Um, and you really need those growing pains along the way in order to make that um, that growth moment hit as you intend. And otherwise, it feels like, quote unquote, a beat sheet moment where it's like someone wrote on the page, like Elliot, you know, grows and change. Yeah, Elliot fully accepts himself now. Like, yeah, he yeah, fully right. empathizes with others now and lets E.T. go. But we have nothing in between to to make that to prove that to the audience. So um, there's, I didn't, um, I don't want to go through all of them, but um, this, this movie has seven moments of growth specifically related around Elliot's um, lack of empathy and then gaining empathy. And then again, he takes a step back 
I call them growth spurts and, and growing pains so that he goes forward, he makes progress toward empathy, and then he goes backwards. And that's the thing, just like good news, bad news, with arcs, you need the same thing. You, it can't just be all good news. It can't just be all growth, 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 growth. You have to take steps back because we as people, we're constantly kind of, you know, regressing a little, progressing, then regressing. So I'll give you a couple of good examples. So at 70 minutes, when uh, E.T. and him go out to the bald spot in the forest and they're using the umbrella communication device, when E.T. is phoning home for the first time, uh, Elliot goes into this big monologue trying to convince him to stay, right? Because he's not thinking about E.T. He's thinking about himself. himself yeah. And he's like, you can, I'll take care of you. Like, we can grow old together. It'll be great. You know, you don't want to leave. That's because... That's a moment of regression for Elliot. He's going, he's for a moment, he's taking a step back to that kid that we met in the beginning. Um, and uh, so that's a very measurable growing pain. And that is, you know, I did, there's not really that much old way, new way here where you, you show a character's, the choices they made before they grew, before they art, and then you give them the same choice. Um, to show the audience how they've grown and arced. Um, and that, that is the moment of old way, new way. That's like the one we get when, when he's trying to talk him into staying on earth. And then in the climax, we have that same spot, same location, same scenario, except now the ship is here. And E.T. does say, come, and Elliot does say stay, but ultimately he makes the choice to not fight it. And he says goodbye to his friends. So that is a new way, right? That does show, that is measurable. We as an, audi we as an audience can go, oh, he's, He's accepting this. He's thinking about E.T., not himself. He, he even says like, and then he, they do that ouch back and forth where, El, where Elliot shows, points to his heart and says ouch to show that he cares, right? Um, so I, I think this is a good example of uh, sh showing the audience growing pains that prove that the character has art by the story's end. And that was, that was all I wanted to yes and with you, Jamie. <laughs> no, it makes no, sense. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. It's it's a hard it's a hard one to kind of parse, I think, for the average person. Yeah, like because it's not it's they do it naturally, like you said, Jamie. Mm -hmm. It's very it's very Indian. It's it's very uh, the realism in in Elliot's character is like it's not Hollywood in that way. Yeah, I it's not it's not like John Lithgow being an animal hunter at the beginning, right? Marion Hendersons, <laughs> and then being like a vegetarian at the end, you know. And, and I, again, I, I think a lot of these, I think a lot of these movies came from a vibe from the seventies as opposed yeah. to the eighties. Right. I think, yeah. I think that once you get in the eighties, they start transitioning, and they're a little bit more obvious and on the nose about things. It's something I think we've kind of stuck with since the eighties to an extent, and uh, but that's why I like. I like this vibe. I think Raiders had it. I think a lot of the early Spielberg and Lucas stuff it's little, had it. It's more nuanced. If it's it's more nuanced. Mm -hmm. um, they're they're almost they're almost anti uh, calling it out. You know, as if they called it out, they'd probably edit it out. They'd be like, yeah. "No, that's too obvious." Um, whereas honestly, today, I, at least when I go through development processes and stuff, you almost have to call it out. They want it, especially in a kids mm -hmm. movie. Especially in a kids movie. I mean, if you get. Uh, that's kind of why I like working in the horror genre because a lot of times I work in the horror genre. If you call things out too much, it it um, betrays the reality and makes things less scary, you know. So they so they kind of like to hide it. They almost prefer not to have any of that stuff. So anyway, 
that's an aside it's just it kind of reminds you you're watching a movie probably if you, mm-hmm. it, it if you does it yeah. does and it, which is okay in a kid's movie if you're sure, doing a yeah if you're or doing comedy or something depends the on the tone, right or, it's all the or, tone. Or, yeah yeah um, but the, certain the batman scale yeah but if you were doing like the blair witch project or something and all of a sudden you're <laughs> doing this kind of corny like here's what i learned today you know it's like no, that's, it actually pauses. It pauses. <laughs> it, 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 it reminds you of the lack of reality. It makes things less scary in a horror movie. Or something <laughs> like that. Um, you want to talk about superior position? I kind of and, and explain that to to listeners too. I kind of want to just breeze through this one. I don't have any specific examples, but I I think that. Um, Jamie, do you want to explain superior position and then we'll just kind of like bounce off of each other? Sure, sure. So so um, superior position is, you know, most movies, I wouldn't even say most, but a lot of movies, traditional movies, and honestly, the ones I recommend you try writing at first, unless you have a good reason for it, is to try to put us in the POV of the character. So imagine E.T. if we didn't know uh, E.T. was out there, you know, in the beginning, like it was purely like, Oh, there might be a coyote out there. And it was purely from Elliot's point of view. So we learned about E.T. as Elliot learned about E.T. So superior position is the opposite, which is what this movie does. We know it's E.T. out there. We've, we've seen it. We've seen the movie from his point of view. We've seen him looking around. So when Elliot's out there looking for E.T., we know it's E.T. out there. That's that's kind of a simple example of superior position. The movie has superior position on like keys, the villain. Mm-hmm. It gives, like that, like yeah. that's where it has the, it, the upper it gives the audience um an advantage of 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 knowing what's going on over Elliot, who's the lead character. Yes, we're often ahead, and I, I think it's it's very instructive in how this movie um you know, there could, there's a totally different version of this movie where, like you said, Jamie, where we never know where the villains are and we are only experiencing it because it's a choice, right? It's like first person, it's like in novels, like first person, second person, third person. Um, and movies do this interesting thing where you see you can swap that, but you can also make a choice to just be first person, right? Only Elliot's perspective all the time. And, and there's a there's a there's a very different version of this movie where if we only knew what Elliot knew, um, it just changes the whole thing. And I think it's very interesting in how like we always know where the villains are. We always know where E.T. is, um, uh, even if, even if other people don't. Um, we're always sort of we're always ahead of Elliot. Basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think is really interesting. And I think it creates like this deeper concern for him um, and this deeper uh I don't know. It makes me it makes me like him more. It makes me worry about him more. Yeah. It creates more it's, tension. He's he's on a journey more in front of our eyes because he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I, we're, we're ahead of him. Right. Yeah. I think I think another thing like a lot of these 70s people, especially Spielberg, it's that Hitchcockian uh, kind of thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they get very playful with their uh, with with the POV. Like you can almost feel it feels almost calculated like what's the most interesting way to do this? Should I mm-hmm. let people in on it? Should I hide it? You know, and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they- we get ETPOV lots throughout the story too, like mm-hmm. from his eyes. And I wonder if that's in the script too, or if it's, it actually specifies ETPOV. I bet it does. It's um, it's like one, one example I always give of this is 
I've always been curious. I'm I'm a big fan of the Truman Show, right? But I I was always I was always curious as to what if it was like the M Night version of the Truman Show where you mm-hmm. didn't twist. give superior position. It was a big yeah. twist. I'm in a reality show, you know, or something. Yeah. Sorry if that. I guess it's not a spoiler. No, we, no. <laughs> we spoil the Truman Show. It's been long. No, enough. but it, we should do the Truman Show. I think it, I think it's really interesting, like the perspective shifts. Because occasionally it does shift, like right after where we we know where ET is, and then all of a sudden they take that superior position away, and we're on. We only know what they know, which is like ET is missing, and and how that changes the game for us all as an audience. I, how that all of a sudden creates like it's like a rug pull, right? Yeah, like, I I think a lot of the superior position in this movie relates to the next thing we're going to talk about too, which is. This movie is a movie where, you know, he hides him as a friend. Where does the tension and the obstacles come from? It comes from hiding him from mom. But imagine if we didn't know anybody was chasing after E.T. Right. There wouldn't be a lot of tension in any of the scenes. But because we know there's a whole group of people that are really on the case. I mean, they almost pretty much narrow down to the house very soon. I mean, they break into yeah. the house. Like. Exactly. <laughs> so so it, it, it adds a ton of tension and what might otherwise just be like, um, you know, him befriending somebody, him introducing it to his family, you know, stuff like that. Right. It, you know, exactly. so, so I think yeah, it's I really important. These, I put these two, I put these two topics together because I think they are, they're very similar. intertwined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but I, I don't know. To me, the we, we stopped doing the what have you learned in the end of episodes. But mm-hmm. when I was leaving the movie, watching it through a screenwriting lens, the thing that like stuck out to me is like this really unconventional antagonist in, in the movie. Like, like we have a faceless villain for it. He don't meet. You don't see his face for eighty-two minutes. He's literally scripted as like his his credit is Keys. That's his name in the credit. I've seen like Spielberg call him Keys in interviews too. Like yeah, yeah like, like he a, doesn't even like have that's his name. actual character. And, name. Yeah, in the novelization, I think they call him Keys. You know, and yeah. it's a wow. novelization. I mean, it's because of the keys. It's because yeah. yeah. So Spielberg originally toyed with the idea of not showing any faces of any of adults in this movie. I, I yeah, like I don't the know Muppet Babies. That. Kind Charlie of like Brown. Charlie, Charlie Brown, Brown, Charlie yeah. Brown. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he he toyed with that idea. I I don't remember where that landed exactly, but, but you'd lose the mother, and she's such an integral yeah, part of the she's, movie. She's, Absolutely, yeah. So, but I think it's very so we get the faceless and and nameless, and then we get the vaguest of backstories. Eighty two minutes in, we get four sentences like I've been wishing for this since I was ten years old. I don't want him to die. His being here is a miracle. I'm glad he met you first. That's it. That's all we get about about the villain. And we get we get vague motivation. The only thing that we get is really comes from Elliot, which is at the dinner table when nobody believes him. He says they're going to give him a lobotomy. And like we know, like absolutely. Right. So like the only motivation comes from what we assume about this situation. It's not made clear, you know, like they're after him. It's ET or bust, but like, there's nobody, there's no, uh, uh, there's no Admiral in star Wars. There's no, you know, there's no, there's no Vader saying we have to do this. And I think it's really instructive that if you, 
uh, I, I'm trying to dig into why this works. And I think Jamie, you put it perfectly. It's that there's constant tension, right? Like we're constantly feeling tension. I track. And, and it's also, and keys is also somewhat complex. Yeah. Like, like he's shown to be this kind of like mustache trolling villain who we can't see his face. And then he shows up and you're like, he realized that he's looking at ET. Like he's like looking into the stars. Yeah. And I, it's way more complex than we even know. I, I think it's, you know? I think that's key to it because if we did show it's his key face, to it. yeah, if we, exactly. If we did, <laughs> if, if we did show, if we did show his face, it might make it less tense because right. we realize he's really, e he's really Elliot, right? He is, he's like Elliot grown up or something. He is, he's, he's like Elliot grown up. Somebody that's been longing. So he's very sensitive and everything about him is pretty nice. And for all we know, whatever he was going to do, he tries to save E.T.'s life. He could have tried to send him home in a spaceship for all we know. Um, he seems very like a good dude, you know? So Yeah, he grows a um, heart. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think the trick is that we just show him as mysterious. So we don't realize, I'm not even sure that he grows a heart. I think he just always had one. You reveal that he had one. Yeah. But, but Spielberg reveals, oh no, he's a good guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, he's a so, good guy using the faculties of society in place that he has to to learn about this stuff. Right. Yes. There's no so other the, thing he could belong to where he could do this. So right? the twist is he might not be a, as bad after all as 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 we were led to believe. Yeah. yeah. Which right. is superior position again. It's playing with our perspective, right? It, and and using it, that against us to create tension and make us feel like, oh, he's not bad. Right. Like I was that's really say, instructive. Like, is there a name for this guys? I think if anyone will know you would like he himself doesn't really have an arc, you know, mm -hmm. if, I mean, you say he grows a heart, but like he kind of was always that guy. He like reve he's said, revealed but, to have a heart. Yeah, that's better. But Like in better. our audience experience, he does have an arc. You know what I mean? Like in our experience of the character. Well, well do so you know what I mean? Like this, we're experiencing. This is a little, there, this you know? is like a couple talking points later on sub mm -hmm. talking points on this, but it, it's the circus mirror, right? Like mm -hmm. the, uh, like, I think what you're talking about is just like uh, caused by that circus mirror element. Whereas uh, one way when you're coming up with your heroes and your villains is to kind of find a way to make them mirror images of each other. Right, like if right. Elliot makes all the wrong choices in life, if Luke makes all the wrong choices in Star Wars, he's Darth Vader. Um, if Indy, you know, you and I were the same, Belloc says in Raiders of the Lost Ark, if Indy makes all the wrong choices in the story, he's Belloc. He's Belloc. If, if Elliot loses, because so, like scientists in adulthood are like fucking ruthless and they don't empathize and they're all about like, they study like cadavers. Data and truth. And that's yeah, it. they study yeah. like cadavers. They, they have to kill something to study it, right? Whereas like kids, it's all about wonder and curiosity and and empathy right like they learn about things through connection and scientists when they're older the scientists in these in this movie are all about like hunting down et to kill him and dissect him right like the frogs so i think you're speaking to like it's almost like that connection that elliot makes with the scientist based on his relationship with et turns that character to look inward almost like he's he's back to looking the way he was when he was Elliot's age. Right. He's right, now right. like, it's almost like El Elliot has Elliot's. If, if Elliot is him, then that's his arc. 
Yes. Like, right? Yeah. 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 I think that's what you're saying, basically. Sort of, basically. To the circus I was mirror also approach. Saying, like, our experience with the, just the movie at surface value with Keys is that he does go through this change, even though there is no. It's very change. small. Yeah. The change yeah. in our eyes and our position on him, you know? Yeah. But I just wanted to, like, one thing, like, before we move on, um, I did this for the Hans Gruber villains plan. So, so, um, I'm constantly reading scripts. Um, <laughs> let's break out the bingo card because I read amateur scripts five days a week. That is what I do for a living. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I am constantly reading scripts where um, we have a there's there's issues with the tension, the lack of tension, because we barely um, get to reconnect with what's happening with the villain where they are, what they want. Have they made progress? Are they closer to getting our hero or are they closer to achieving that thing that our hero is trying to stop them from doing, right? Like the Death Star. Uh, and uh, when, you, you know, in a movie like Die Hard, Die Hard, we get 14 uh, villains plan updates from the moment the movie starts and we never go more than four minutes without getting an update of what's happening with Hans Gruber's plan, master plan. And that's why there's this intense sense of like momentum to the story and stopping Hans Gruber because every four minutes, this, the, the story never lets us forget about what he's doing and why he's doing it and whether he's getting closer to doing it for more than five minutes. And so like I studied this one because I think this movie does something almost identical, even though we don't really get any information about the villain themselves. So, so there are actually more villains plan status updates in ET than there was in Die Hard, which I never would have expected if I didn't break it down. There's 15 status updates in this movie where we're we're brought back. We 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 catch up with the villains right after we've just caught up with Elliot, and we never go. There are some periods early on where we go like seven eight minutes. So like for the first five to eight minutes, the government agents are chasing E.T. and they've got him on the run and they see, they know where, they know he's going in the direction of that town. And then eight minutes later, we catch up with them again and they're one step closer. Elliot sees a mysterious government agent searching for E.T. in the same place in the woods where he's searching for him. So the movie never goes more than eight minutes beyond that without letting us back into what's happening with the agents. But then once it gets closer to them getting the house, they start pushing that closer. Like it's like three minutes, two minutes between between what's happening with the villains. So it all averages out to we never go more than five minutes in this movie without catching up with the villains. And that creates this like sense of, oh, my God, they're going to get him. They're going to get him. They're going to get E.T. And I just think it's really instructive that even if you don't. Uh, give us much info about the villains, if you keep us on up to speed with what the hell is going on with the villains and whether they're getting closer to whatever it is they're trying to do. It, it, it fills the gap with all the stuff that's missing about the villain. You know, it does enough. So I just thought that was, that was like the most interesting thing the movie did for me that I didn't remember it did having seen it so many times. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think it is because there isn't like the goal doesn't, the goal to get him to the spaceship doesn't come more to the midpoint. Mm -hmm. So 
I think they really have to crank up the tension in, way, in whatever way they can. So they, it, there's a lot of craft on display in, in cranking up the tension. There's a thing called, this is a Sid Field thing that I use all the time that I'm sure we've talked about here before, called a pinch point. And the pinch yes. point in save the cat terms comes kind of in the middle of the fun and games. And it's like, it kind of offsets that fun and games issue where fun and games might be a little too much fun. I, you know, we've talked about <laughs> how fun and games don't have to be too much fun. They could be really miserable for the hero, but sometimes like, and let's say like a Bruce almighty, uh, Bruce almighty or something like that, uh, which is, I always, I always use because he's having a great time during his fun and games. Um, sometimes you have to remind people that this party is going to come to an end. Um, and that's kind of what ET is doing. It's, it's saying, look, we're having fun, lots of laughs. It's a big party with these kids getting to know each other, but just know that this party is going to come to a big crashing halt by the end of this movie. And that's kind of what these check-ins are doing. Yes. And the pinch point is just one place for it, but this movie does it multiple times. Um, it, it does it in a few different places, and they tend to escalate, right? Mm -hmm. so, right. right. Yeah. So they're at getting, first, they're getting just, closer. They're getting, yeah. getting closer, yeah. and so the the updates are getting closer. I yeah. mean, right. and and they're done in a really creepy way, which is another, you know, like the the surveillance thing in the van, and they're they're we're hearing shadows, and shadows, and they're, they're literally like breaking constitutional rights. <laughs> like, yeah, because yeah, like <laughs> seriously, like like keys, and and again, I think it's all kind of a trick of cinema because keys, you know, all the stuff. Even when they come in in the spacesuits and stuff like that, it's yeah, all yeah. like let's make them look scary. Because the one thing that I it always stuck with me, the line keys has to Elliot at that one point where he says, you know, I don't, I don't think he was left here intentionally, but his being here is a miracle, you know, it's, mm -hmm. and you did the best anybody could do. I'm glad he met you first. You know, I, I always found that line, like, I don't know what it is about that line, but I found it super touching or something about that line. Like the villain could deliver yeah, it reveals that line. that he has a heart, right? It, yeah, it does. He does, it does. I mean, that's like the, the prize first, audience like three times where he kind of does it right. Like, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. he also says like, um, I'm trying to remember how that goes. Um, I've been wishing for this since I was 10 years old or something yeah. like that, you know, since I was said, your age. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then circus the mirror, he just lets, he lets the them. ending happen yeah. without any fuss, yeah. you know, also very unconventional. Right? Yep. Yeah. And yeah. it works. Yeah. There's not even a moment where he like, isn't, he's trying to stop anything or like he objects or yeah, he just, but there's tension that he would, right. Because they've done right, their job there. as storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that. Love I think that. By, by the time he gets in the car with the mom, it's like, a, it's pretty understood from the <laughs> perspective, but there's that I, chance. There's that chance. He could be like, you know, I, I just wish keys in the mom kiss. just start running. <laughs> I, I just wish they kissed at the end. That oh, would have been God. Like, <clears throat> like I thought you started. Jamie, I thought you meant E.T. and Elliot. No. <laughs> like, yeah, I think they should turn and just have this big kiss on the end. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Special edition. I'm just glad the dog didn't get on the spaceship, okay? Almost. Um, that, yeah, that always is the thing that makes me go, no! Okay. <laughs> um, uh, ordinary to extraordinary exercise? Oh, yeah. So I'll try to I, I had a huge Explain list, but I'm going to try. Okay, so this is like, you know, um, so much of our show is focused on the whiteboard and premise delivery. 
but it's really important to, to talk about the how, not just the what and the why. So like, what is the essence of premise delivery? It's like taking in something ordinary and using the premise to make it extraordinary. Jamie, do you want to explain the concept of premise paint that we use all the time on the show? And then I'll bounce off of that. Yeah, sure. And so, it, you know, premise paint, the idea is kind of a, it's kind of a whiteboard technique or a whiteboard, I, I don't know, almost a mentality when you approach your whiteboard that if you, if you can just list like what you'd expect to see in a movie like this out on your whiteboard, and maybe there's some other idea. So what would you expect to see in a, in an alien movie or something or, right. or a, it's the what if question about ET, like what is yeah. that? And uh, then special powers and fish out of water stuff. Like you mean like that? Yeah. It's stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then maybe what you can do also is, is then you can come up and say, well, what's extra unique about this story. And this one it's cause it's kids, let's say, cause kids are involved and, and modern day kids for that matter. So, so um, th that's one of the things I saw. So, and this kind of feeds into the mundane side that, that Jimmy's about mm -hmm. to talk about. Cause a lot of the stuff like, instead of having a car chase, you know, cause it's kind of a thriller movie, right? We have a bike, a BMX bike chase, you know, or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, how do we make a communicator? We make it out of a speaking spell, you know? Mm -hmm. So the, the paint is kind of, to me, the mundane kid stuff that you can kind of go and, and paint over the other stuff. Yeah. So, so I basically look at it like the paint is the, for me, the paint is the what if scenario, the what if situation of the movie. Like what if, what if an a lost alien uh, uh, stumbled into a kid's, a suburban American kid's house um, and formed a bond with him? Um, what is, that's your premise, right? That's your premise paint. So um, the, the simplest, like, essence of premise delivery is like taking something ordinary and using your premise to give us something that we could only experience in this movie and it's why people keep coming back it's why 40 years later we're all still loving it because it's so unique and specific to this this world and this what if scenario that we could only get it when we watch tv i mean watch et <laughs> and uh and so, Jamie's book. so so <laughs> so or so, read about tv so, and save the cat rights for tv <laughs> so when you're coming up with ideas okay you've got your premise and you've sort of got this you're, you're doing whiteboards um what are ordinary people places things scenarios and dialogue that you could add your premise paint onto and give us something that we, we could only experience um so for example the reese's pieces they're ordinary candy, but you put premise paint on it and it's alien bait that a little kid uses to draw the alien from outside into his house, right? That's premise, premise specific. Uh, potted flowers, um, you put premise paint on the dying potted flowers and it becomes this thing to, that eats e e to show E.T.'s powers and to give us sort of a measuring stick of E.T.'s health status. That's, those are flowers that we could only get in this movie. Um, the, the fruit, E.T. is eating fruit. You put just basic fruit and you put premise paint on it. E.T. makes the fruit float into a solar system diagram to show Elliot where his home is. That is fruit that we could all, that is some mundane fruit that, that when you put the premise paint on it, it becomes extraordinary, 
right? And so the Buck Rogers comic in any old, in any other movie, it's just a comic. In this movie, it becomes E.T.'s like inspiration for getting home and his way to communicate with others what his plan is and the audience. So it's that Buck Rogers comic becomes something extraordinary and something we could only get when we pop in E.T. Sesame Street. Sesame Street is just, you know, a, a show that's been on for decades. Um, but in this movie, you put premise paint on Sesame Street, it becomes Gertie's way of teaching E.T. how to talk. How to talk, right, yeah. <laughs> so that is an episode of, that is a use of Sesame Street that we could only get in this movie. So, and the jangling keys, right? You take some ordinary keys, you put premise paint on it, it becomes like a harbinger of government agent doom for E.T. So it's just can I, like, can I, can I add the Halloween costume? Dude, there's so much, dude. Yeah, like the Halloween costume is the way they sneak out ET, but the Halloween costume is just a normal costume on Halloween of a go- of, of a shitty ghost, really. Right, and then they yeah. take a scenario. They take that's that to to your point. Ordinary scenario, put premise paint on it, make it extraordinary and premise specific. They see somebody dressed up like Yoda, and ET <laughs> thinks that it's an alien, and he says home. Right, so that is a well, that's because ET is a Jedi, and he uses. <laughs> But that is a that is a that is a way to show like if you're trying to learn what is premise delivery, right? How do I what does it mean to deliver on the promise of the premise? What does it mean to make something uh, special out of base something basic? This movie has like endless examples of that. And even they do it with tropes, right? Like the the home invasion. What does a home invasion look like in this movie with this premise? It's government agents dressed like astronauts invading a house and abducting an alien from the house. <laughs> what does what does a like Jamie said? What does a car chase look like in this premise? It, it's ET literally letting the the using its powers to uh, have the bikes fly over the police car. So it's just what does this, an alien drinking beer look like in this premise? And what does what does beer drinking look like right, in, right. with premise paint? it's right it's it's him getting both of them getting drunk at the same time in different locations while also simultaneously even even like how does how does et show a map of space for example right right. all these little things the fruit yep the fruit floating in the air so it's if you're at if you want it's a nice it's a really simple brainstorming technique that you can just be like okay like there's it you know in where can et hide in a house among other weird looking small dolls right so they <laughs> that, take the, the ordinary place in the house right right so they take that they take that ordinary the, those ordinary dolls on the shelf and now it becomes something extraordinary that expresses the movie perfectly but, right. by the way legend says that was robert zemeckis's idea ah it's so good but like but- you know deconstructing like what what screenwriting is to me at its purest this is screenwriting to me at its purest. All of my Premise favorite paint. moments, all yeah, all of my favorite moments in cinema do this. The the water, the the rippling water in Jurassic Park, Spielberg. The mashed potato mountain is is that that's what I like to call this 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 uh, technique. The mashed potato mountain, the mashed potato mountain in Close Encounters, right? Like those are mashed potatoes that you put those mashed potatoes in any other movie. You're like, what the fuck is this? But you put them in close encounters and we totally understand that this is we can only see this in, in close encounters so and when i'm reading scripts all day like this is what this is the part of the craft that people don't seem 
to care about. They don't seem to want to learn. They don't seem to understand that it's what makes it's what makes a stack of 50 screenplays stand out from the pack. The screenplays that do this stand alone, you know, and um, like I read scripts all day that like they, they nail character, right? Like there's the dialogue, snappy, conflict galore, um, memorable scenes. But my number one note now after six years of doing this is not premise specific enough. Can I say and it in so a more mundane that, way almost like like you sh write stuff you could only see here? Yeah. You know? like, I mean, it's, and it's I think that the that, reason right? that like, E.T. is so so has stood the test of time is because like that, right fade in to fade out that's all it is it's never you can never see any of this stuff in any other movie right so yeah, i'm super cool. passionate about it <laughs> i mean honestly that's like one bit of advice you could you could like if you had nothing else you could say that that yeah do the do stuff that premise you only paint do is everything premise premise paint is everything and that's jamie's that's jamie's concept oh, yeah, yeah. i've just piggybacked off of and it. most of them are jamie's <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> um yeah, that's that well, jamie nash magic does that that doesn't incorporate premise pretzels right but that's no good, no that's premise pretzels i, I thought that pretzels. i like listening to jamie talk about this yeah and so i thought this would be a fun time to talk give about us the it rundown again. jamie jamie yeah the, pre the premise pretzel it's he says he likes I mean, this is something that i thought up but i think jimmy does a better job of explaining at this point <laughs> i forgot now to explain it but premise premise pretzels are kind of like they're, they're kind of like an advanced uh version of setup and payoff mm -hmm. in some ways mm -hmm. um you set something up you pay it off then you pay it off in a different way then you pay it off in a different way then you pay it you know then you pay it mm -hmm. off in reverse then you do mm -hmm. you know so it's really just getting the most mileage of the setup payoff kind of idea um and that that's really what looking at it from all angles uh, doing it in reverse doing it in, mm -hmm. and honestly if you whiteboard and think in these terms you'll you'll brainstorm lots of great ideas if you could say well, what's the reverse of that you know what's mm -hmm. the mirror image in, of that in this yeah. movie a in child is shown to drive a car in reverse and then he's later shown to do the reverse of that which is exactly <laughs> that's, that's a premise pretzel right right yeah J jamie my favorite way that you put this is that um you you want to try to take when you come up with an idea you want to try to come up with ideas that you don't just use once so there so that nothing's throwaway so that everything like is a setup you know or a payoff in some little way so that there's not a wasted moment and that includes that can include just little things like like so like my favorite example there's two premise pretzels that Jan and bob just named a great one that i didn't even list but it is a premise pretzel that's mm -hmm. the idea like the the idea folding it in, on itself and and doing the reverse of the same it idea makes a note of showing the kid doing it yeah and later he has to drive a car right. Right. it seems yeah. like they they make it a joke right but yeah but we don't know that that's that's their clever way of hiding that it's a setup for a great payoff later right right, right. um but uh there's two that I really love and they both incorporate the same t twist, which is the original idea is the umbrella like Elliot. Op I mean, uh, E.T. opens it and it scares E.T. and it scares Elliot into dumping the milk. We laugh, right? It's kind of funny. It's uh, he's discovery. But then they take that idea and they twist it and it becomes the satellite dish for E.T.'s interstellar communication device. They could have just 
thrown it away. They could have just had that one moment, but they found a way to take that idea they came up with and use it again in a completely different, fresh way. And then it makes that earlier moment feel even more special, you know? And the same thing with the saw blade, right? Like he cuts his finger on the saw blade and we have that great moment where we learn that E.T. has the power to heal wounds. And then later they reverse it and it's part of that interstellar communication device, right? So they take another idea that we thought was just like this one special moment and they use it again. So and it you just could also add to that exact moment, Jimmy, when he sees the Halloween costume of the knife through the head and he thinks it's another Yes. Another blade cutting another being. Exactly. So they use him. that again. They yeah. Use it again. Right Ouch. There. Yeah. Right. Ouch. <laughs> right. Exactly. So that's another. Yeah. That's another pretzel of that one single idea. You're right, Bob. Yeah. Right. So I, this is a great example. Of, this is another thing about this movie you could study is like how to take an idea, a simple idea like the umbrella gag and use it in two or three more yeah, ways. I I did this. It's interesting. Like right before our podcast, I was working on a script and I did this, you know, I, I do this by nature almost at this point, like, cause sometimes it doesn't come to you on the whiteboard. Right. Sometimes. So today I was going through a script and I found something, it, it, this is like a, a ghost movie. Right. And I had a scene with like kids sidewalk chalk, you know, and it was kind of like being some drawing happened or something. And it was kind of later in the movie. And I realized because I was doing my iteration thing, which I highly suggest after you after you write a script, go through it over and over and over. Cause that's when you start connecting. Like, oh, that scene earlier where I had the girl who died, I had her playing on an iPad, but instead she's now using sidewalk chalk. You know what I mean? And I was able to connect the two. So I kind of went in reverse. As you know, sometimes you think of it as going into the future, but sometimes if you have these kind of moments aren't connected to anything you can kind of go back and start feeding them yep. and then from there i went and i added it one more place like toward the end i i added like i used the sidewalk chalk in even a different way i i kind of came up with another way you found it. another organic spot to another organic yeah in a new way yeah so exactly it's not, it's not always it's like you're saying it's not always something you have to come up before you sit right down. it I, organically you can, you works can itself go, in you can go back right one of the reasons i love doing my you know, after my first draft where I kind of get the whole story together and write it all out, I love the second, I call it the second, it's second draft, but it's really my first good draft because that's usually when I find all this stuff. Usually I'm going through and I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. That use that. I can go back. Okay. Yeah. I can use that. And I, I, I do a lot of that in my and that's, first that's pass. Like the meat on the bones though. You know what I mean? It like, is. That makes yes. it feel like it's cohesive. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's good talk story. about the power of repetition, which is yeah, really strong. Speaking of, movie. yeah, speaking of <laughs> repeating, going back and repeating things. Yeah, I'm gonna set it up, and I feel like you guys probably know the movie well enough that I don't have to say all of them. You can like name them all. You know what I mean? I feel like, like they're the famous quotes from the movie. There's just right? well, there's just they, it comes in so many ways. So one way to create like a deeper bond between the audience and the characters is to use repetition and like when you take some idea and it could be a, a you know just like i was talking about with the premise paint it could be a person it could be a place it could be a thing it could be dialogue it could be a scenario it could be a combination of those things but it doesn't have to always be a combination it could just be one of them um when you take the same scenario and you repeat it it creates this pattern and the audience has this understanding that it's special 
right? And so we feel something stronger about something we saw before. Um, and yeah, and really easy way to tell these mini stories and to show like the progression of characters is to do like a rule of three, which is like you set up the you set up the idea, you give us a re repetition of it, and then you reverse it with showing the growth and change. So like beginning, middle, and end. Bob, you have another. It's like comedy, Bob. You, oh, you have yeah. a good way of set up, establish, payoff. Set up. It's just like a joke, right? It's and a it, joke. and yeah. and this concept does have its roots in vaudeville, in the stage, in comedy. Right. Right. So um, I think what stands out most about this movie, The Craft, is there's so much use of repetition in this way. There's so many different rule of threes in this story. I mean, I, I feel like I go for it, guys. Like. Talk about some, and I'll bounce well, off I mean, of you. Uh, I just go down here. Dialogue. You, I'll be right here. Elliot. He kind of says it passively to ET mm -hmm. in the beginning, right? Like it's not right. a major moment, right? But it also, but then ET like logs it as something big for him, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's <laughs> like then, one of the first things he says to him. Yeah, right. And of course, that's his parting words to Elliot. You mm -hmm. know. Yeah, there's three beats for that. So he, right, Elliot, right. you know, Elliot says it to try to kind of make him feel safe, even though right, he right. doesn't know how to take care of anything. Um, and then in the middle, when they're when they're uh, on the hospital beds together, and ET is trying, we have a repetition moment there. ET is ET is dying, and Elliot's trying to to comfort him and tell him to stay. Right. He says, "I'll be right here." And then we have in the end, ET says it to Elliot. So we have that reversal. E.T. says it to Elliot, you know, as the as he's saying goodbye. So it hits hard because of those three beats. Um, another one is um, be good. So I, I've I've started I'm, I'm breaking out a new term, even though we're pressed for time. We have like 10 minutes. Um, I've been using this term to help some clients uh, and it's it's so far it's worked. So this is a soft test and we'll keep playing with it as as uh, as the show goes on. I call them handshakes. Simple as that. Like a really easy, because I, because ultimately, I think this 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 repetition that we talk about a lot. I think we could like codify it into different types. We just haven't done it, and nobody really has for us to draw off from. But I think if we took the time to say, hey, like, what is this doing? What is this repetition doing? They're all kind of taking different routes. Um, and I think handshakes is like. When you're trying to come up with a shortcut for how can I show a character's relationship really fast so that every time those two characters are interacting, I instantly get it. Like I don't have to spend more than 10 seconds and I'm back remembering everything I remember about these two characters together. And so I'm calling them handshakes. So far I've seen handshakes coming in. I'm staying with the G's. Greetings. So like sloth. Hey, you guys. Um, Games, Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off. Guidance, uh, use the force, carpe diem. Um, and goodbye, Spock, whenever he says goodbye, he says live long and prosper. And then the story sometimes uses that to show how the relationships are in danger or in jeopardy or Spock is in jeopardy. They use those handshakes. You know, I call, so it's just like a shortcut. And with this one, I think be good tracks as a handshake right like it's guidance right like she's teaching et how to speak and we get a nice repetition with that the next time 
uh, she shows Elliot that she taught him how to speak. And he says, be good, be, be good, good right. be good. And she's like, I taught him that. <laughs> so it's a, but it's this, it's a handshake between Gertie and, and E.T. And then in the end, um, uh, E.T. says it to, to Gertie. And that's pretty much the only thing about their relationship that we've seen, right? Like, but it hits so hard. Yeah. So I think this is another way I'm going to keep playing with it as the show goes along, but this is like something I've been using with my clients to, to quickly deepen the relationships on the page in a really simple way. And I think this is a, is a good way to do that. Like three moments with the handshakes. So cool. Those are the ones I want to talk about. New term. New term. <laughs> we already talked about the flowers, so I can, we can skip the flowers. Interesting. Oh. Uh, the shutters, the visual of the shutters, because that comes yeah, yeah. to play a lot, you know, with the yeah. figures in the shutters and peeking yeah, through yeah. and the lights coming through. The, it, I was watching today because I wanted to remind myself, we don't have a thing about this, but um, so a one thing I forgot to mention that this script was close to the first draft of the script, if not the first draft. And Spielberg always claims it was like one of the best, if not the best first draft he ever read. Wow, and uh, awesome. and they didn't cut a lot. High though. praise. Yeah, but the, <laughs> but the one scene they did cut is this really cheese ball scene with Harrison Ford as the principal, where he's levitating. Have you ever seen this? <laughs> no. Elliot's Elliot's levitating. Um, yeah. But what when I watched that today, I was watching it for another reason, which I'll talk about in one second. Um, there's shutter. There's a big shutter influence in that too. So it's a but it's just shadows coming in and like crisscrossing Elliot's face from outside and it's like the shutters uh so when you put this down I was like hey there's those shutters again they did that again that that same visual of shutters and the sunlight coming through them um it's also I think it's supposed to also be reminiscent of like the alien spaceship mm -hmm. yeah I brought the reason yeah. I brought it up is sometimes it doesn't have to be the exact thing that you're repeating sometimes it's just like a visual motif yes right yes. and yeah. that and right. that visual motif you can put this on the whiteboard, right? You can be like, okay, I know that the first, that when E.T. is officially lost and his his family on the ship is looking down at him, it's through like this shutter looking thing. You got that one image to build off of. You're like, okay, like how can I spider web ideas off of this to play with that visual motif and make the audience sh to show the progression and make us feel like we're getting E.T. closer to that parent at the mm -hmm. beginning. And yeah. that's how you, you you do the same sort of idea where you do good news, bad news with that visual motif, right? So like, there's so many, like E.T.'s, uh, Elliot's mom is looking through the closet as E.T.'s hiding in the stuffed animals. We see her through the shutters. Um, E.T.'s looking through the shutters later when, when Elliot's mom is reading the storybook to Gertie. So he's like missing his parent, you know, and that's right, another right. reminder that the, he's got to get home in this visual motif. And then the government agents are, are looking through the shutters before they invade E.T.'s right. house. So that's a bad news version of it. And then in the end, E.T. is looking through the shutters at Elliot. As at Elliot yeah. So it's this great, they did a whiteboard, right? They took that visual motif and they were like, how can we play with that in as many interesting ways as possible? But it's very intentional. It's very much giving us status updates about E.T.'s progression toward getting home. And then the last version of it is showing E.T. on his way home, right? So I think that's crash. I think it's, to, I think it's you can learn from craft. that. You do stuff like that. 
I would be interested to know if that was actually found in the script or if that was like a cinematography yeah. piece of the craft. If that was a Spielberg thing. Yeah, yeah. Like either well, way. Well, regardless, great. you it, know, it doesn't this is, matter. It's we, great. We count the movie as the last draft of the right. script. For our purposes, it, it is from a it is. from a learning standpoint, I think you can take these examples and you right. could do something that fits your movie perfectly in a way that as this extra deep, right? We connect with it deeper because of those things. You feel it, you know, because of that. So, so what, one of the, the reason I looked up that, that, um, the deleted scenes though, cause this, this scene blew my mind and it is an example of repetition, but one that got cut because they realized what they had, they had a different ending on the movie originally. Um, have you seen this ending? I, I blew my mind when I saw it. Uh, this almost sounds like not. a, it sounds like a setup I'm doing for a bit, but it's not. It's like not, then I'm gonna no, say not. something crazy. Now, Jamie, yeah. was this the OG ending or was this a an all ending just in case? No, this was this was their original planned ending. So if you oh. find ET script is online, you can find it and it's in the script. So the, the original ending was then they cut back to uh a Dungeons and Dragons. So another repetition thing with all the other kids. Okay. Repetition. Yeah, but this time Elliot's the DM and he's saying some stuff that's mm-hmm. somewhat thematic. And, and then they, showing how the story has characters change using it, repetition. Exactly. And then they and then they this is where it gets kind of cheesy. And and apparently what happened was Spielberg saw how great the music was in the end of that thing, and it was like, we can't top this, you know, and he just <laughs> cut he it's cut this a, final scene. It's a it's a perfect cut to black. It's a yes. perfect yeah. cut. And um, so then the camera raises up. And again, you can see this online. There's footage of it. And on top of the roof of the house is the communicator, like implying that um, Elliot's still in touch with E.T. Still like talking to E.T. And, that, and then it goes to black. Um, so again, yeah. too little repetitive. I don't miss it. No. Yeah, but no, the repetition, no. yeah. So they were using it, it even in the end. I don't. I wouldn't completely hate it. I don't think it would have changed the movie's success. Mm-hmm. But right. I'm right. glad it's like it is. <laughs> that's like a post-credit scene now yeah yeah it's, it, it, it it, exactly after, yeah. that's He's that's what it feels like to him. Yeah. yeah right okay well i, I know jamie's got to go so i don't want to i'm not gonna i'm gonna skip that, the next yeah it's all okay good. that's good no i think we've i think we we, we covered a lot <laughs> we covered a lot of stuff um no that's good uh we've already plugged everything we need to plug yes and mm-hmm. what 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 the only thing i'm gonna say before we leave out is if you're a fan of the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app that you use. Please. Right? Yeah, Please. 86 episodes. This is the first time we're asking. It really yeah. helps the we're show. We're going to start asking for a lot more stuff. So we are. For that. We're start- There's going to be a lot of stuff. We'll Your patience mostly. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, like basically whatever your app uh, lets you do. Let's. I don't know what, what people listen to stuff on it at all, but. Yeah. And thank you to those who have taken the time to, to review. To do, it really to do that. And thank just you. everyone who has ever said anything online about the show, shared the show, listened. It's awesome. Yeah, we were all we were very much appreciate. Yeah, and basically what we realized is we've been kind of we kind of did this podcast for the last eighty some episodes without really uh, trying to promote it to people and things like that. And people are discovering it and really digging it. And we'd like more people to do that, which gives us right. more incentive to keep doing it. And uh, so yeah. if, you, if you just get a second or anything like that to promote it in any way, especially a review, a retweet, something like that, just so people find it, we'd be greatly appreciative. Um, and that's basically 
our it's plan. A, yeah. That's our that's our insidious yeah. plan. The simple. It's real plan, insidious. Really, we got nothing complex going on here. Uh, but yeah, that's everything, guys. <laughs> Et. Yes. We got more Spielberg on the way eventually, right? We got big time. Yeah. 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 Yep. We're, yep. We're, we're a Spielberg loving podcast. So uh, right. that's everything. Thank. Thanks everyone. for listening, everyone. Thank you. Hey, this is Bob Rose, and thank you for listening to Writer's Blockbusters. If you'd like to financially support the show, please consider joining my Patreon. I've been producing the podcast for several years completely out of pocket, and I'd like to keep producing it ad-free and no longer at a loss. If you'd like to help, head on over to patreon.com slash Bob Rose sucks. That's right. Bob Rose sucks. And if you want the one and only Jimmy George to help polish up that writing project you're kind of struggling with, head on over to scriptbutcher.com. As a listener, you already know he's the best there is. Scriptbutcher.com. You can also support the show by simply sharing it or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate both. Thank you for listening and see you next episode.